0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fresh Takes on the Future of Work. I first want to start by taking a moment to address the June twenty fourth, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for them and their family including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This Supreme Court decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions on other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. And if you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. On this episode, we will be discussing the ramifications of this decision further, as well as what it means for women their careers, and their lives. First, I would like to give a trigger warning for this episode. We need to touch on some sensitive topics, as unfortunately, this is the reality. Criminalizing abortion does not reduce the number of abortions performed according to numerous studies. Banning abortions means banning safe abortions. It means eliminating a life-saving medical treatment and it means that more people will die as a result. Abortion is the medical procedure used to treat a variety of lethal medical conditions. Conditions such as ectopic pregnancy, where a fertilized egg implants outside the uterus, usually in the fallopian tube, are treated with abortion. The egg must be removed in order for the woman to survive this situation. If the egg grows, it will rupture the fallopian tube and the woman will bleed internally. The woman will need emergency surgery immediately to save her life. Other medical situations, such as septic uterus or an incomplete miscarriage, require an abortion to save the woman's life. During a miscarriage, otherwise known medically as a spontaneous abortion, sometimes the fetus does not fully expel and needs to be removed via abortion. If the tissue is not removed, the woman could suffer from more bleeding and infection, risking her life. If a pregnant woman is diagnosed with cancer or another serious illness or disease— And needs chemotherapy or other treatment, she cannot start that treatment until she aborts the fetus, thus also risking her life. Additionally, many disabled women who fall pregnant will need an abortion to live, as carrying a fetus to term will kill them. Before going further, I'd like to point out that 83% of disabled women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. So even if a disabled woman is not fit to give her consent, Or to have sex, this does not necessarily mean she won't get pregnant. Along the topic of consent, we need to also touch on young girls. The average age of a girl's first period is 12 years old. However, girls can get their first period as young as eight. While we'd rather not discuss such horrific things, they happen, and we do need to ensure we have protective measures in place for when they do. All pregnancy comes with risk. I'll reiterate that again. Pregnancy is not a health-neutral state. I myself have been pregnant three times, and I can tell you it is not health-neutral. Even for the healthiest women who intended on having a child and carrying it to full term, pregnancy and its complications can lead to permanent damage or death. Women who consider themselves pro-life may one day need an abortion to save their life and any woman or girl of reproductive age has the chance to be faced with the choice, abortion or death. Unfortunately, we no longer have federal protection to choose for ourselves. On June 24, 2022, the Supreme Court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, the case that established the Constitution right that protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion. Now that decision reverts back to the states. So what does this really mean? It means that your location, if you live in the U.S., will determine how many reproductive rights you have and the severity of the punishments if you seek medical help. Thirteen states had trigger bans that went into immediate effect after Roe was overturned. Of these states, many do not have a grace period or have a six-week ban, meaning that a woman's period is only two weeks late, and therefore women only have two weeks to schedule and get an abortion. Often that six-week window, or in that six-week window, you don't even know you're pregnant. Several of these states have zero exceptions, not for incest, rape, or anything else. Beyond those 13 states with trigger laws, another 13 are expected to pass equally as restricting or all-out bans as well. This leads to roughly 26 states in which women no longer have reproductive rights, and that number may increase. As you heard earlier in the episode, having access to abortion care is medically necessary to save lives of many women and girls. Beyond the life-or-death stakes of this decision, half of all Americans have now lost the right to bodily autonomy, setting a dangerous precedent for future privacy issues. Additionally, women's professional lives will be severely impacted, which puts their economic status and well-being at risk. When the news broke that Roe v. Wade was overturned, I was in a car returning from a funeral with Erin Kresel. Erin is a lifelong friend, mom to two girls, Emma and Abby, six and four. She's a former investment consultant, MBA, nonprofit founder. The list goes on. She's impressive, and she means the world to me. She also happens to have lupus, an autoimmune disease that revealed itself when she was expecting her second child. During this pregnancy, one day Erin and I met for coffee. She needed to talk. The doctors detected an anomaly with the baby, but couldn't name it. They weren't sure what the problem was or even if there was one. At this point, Erin was a few months along in the pregnancy. She needed to decide what to do. She had a choice. I have Erin here with me, and Erin, welcome to the show. Hi, Jess. Really happy to be here. Erin, do you remember sitting outside of that coffee shop? I do. I do. I remember it like it was yesterday. What was, I know what was going through my mind, but what can you just explain to our listeners, like, what was going through your mind at that point in time? Um, So I was about 20 weeks pregnant
1: with my second child. I was really, really scared. I was in a position where I was, I felt like I was faced with an impossible circumstance that was filled with so many unknowns. As you suggested, I had limited information, but I was 20 weeks pregnant. And after multiple sonograms and a fetal MRI, I was told that my baby had a much smaller brain than was typical for this stage. And what that meant was completely unknown to us and even to the doctors. However, at the very minimum, we were told that there would be physical and developmental delays. You know, so many of those words and circumstances were unfamiliar to my husband and I. And when I was sitting in the office with the maternal fetal medicine team at Penn, they brought up to me that I had to make a decision on whether or not we wanted to discontinue the pregnancy. And I was, I was completely caught off guard. I, I wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't thinking about it. But once they said it, it was just so clear that we actually had to make that decision and it was something that I couldn't do on my own. I had to do it with my husband and, you know, our biggest fear was not that we wouldn't love this child and be able to give them everything they could, but it was, could we actually do it and be okay? And both physically and mentally, and, you know, especially at a time Like you mentioned, I was pregnant and also battling lupus kidney disease. So it felt insurmountable at the time.
0: Yeah, I remember in that conversation outside the coffee shop, but in so many of the other ones that we had in and around this time, you just feeling like, what decision can I make to make sure I'm here for my older daughter, Emma? You know, I I have this autoimmune disease. I'm flaring at this particular moment while I'm pregnant very uncommon, but super scary. And then all the questions about about your pregnancy being insurmountable, like that—that that is the word. But at the same time, you were armed with the choice from your medical team. Yeah. So fast forward, you and your husband made the decision to continue the pregnancy and sweet Abby was born later that year. Can you tell us a little bit about Abby? Abby's amazing.
1: She is, it's honestly impossible not to love her the second you meet her. And I, I hope you can hear in my voice that I can, I like, I could not physically say her name without leaving a smile, but you know, I'm going to be honest. That's, that's recent. That's a five-year journey. When she was born, we learned um, about a month after she was born. We learned that she had what's called a, Tub A1A misspelling. And that's a gene that's responsible for brain development in the first 10 to 15 weeks. And for Abby, what that means is she has lots of delays. She is uh, nonverbal. She is nonmobile. She has brain related blindness and a host of other medical complexities, including seizures. So that list right there is a lot and she'll be turning five this October. I can hardly believe it. And she has our family and our support system has worked so hard over these past five years to bring her to where she is today. And, you know, we'll continue to not know what the future will hold, but, you know, Today, she loves to be outside and she loves to sit in her daddy and pop-off's arms. And we know when she's happy, sad, and hungry. And <laughs> that's really important.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't agree more. It's hard not to say Abby's name without smiling. That sweet girl is truly the sweetest. She is an incredible incredible child, and, and I feel lucky to know her. You made a choice. You and your husband made this choice that was aligned with your values and what was in your heart. You, it, That's what you felt like was the right thing to do. This could be hard, but can you put yourself back on that co- at that coffee shop with me for a minute and imagine if you hadn't had a choice? How might that have changed your perception of your current reality today?
1: It's fair to say I cannot imagine not having that choice, you know, sitting sitting there with you as a friend talking to the decision. But I remember sitting in the atrium of the Children's mm-hmm. Hospital of Philadelphia and sitting there with my husband and knowing that I have this child inside me that we will have to raise and whose life will significantly impact the trajectory of our family, the life of my then two-year-old, our grandparents and aunts and uncles and community. And to think that we couldn't have the choice on whether or not to have or not have our child is unfathomable. And to think that we could have been robbed of that choice by five men sitting on the Supreme Court is terrifying and it and it just dismantles my security as an American and especially a, a woman. And when it comes to choice and thinking about, you know, we made the choice and but it's the same outcome as if as what what could be under the law today. But knowing that my husband and I made that choice is what gets us through our darkest moments. We left that hospital and we said we this will not break us. This so will not break our marriages. This will not break our family. We will have really hard days. And we may constantly be on a different page. But we were on the same page when we made that choice together. And that is what unifies us. It's so powerful being able to do that as, as a woman and an American.
0: Yeah. and And now feels so incredibly crippling that perhaps women... Are are facing similar decisions to the one that you and Doug had to make and won't have the same level of choice or will have to travel out of state and into, you know, you know, go see doctors they aren't comfortable with to, to actually um get the medical treatment that they need. Fortunately for you and your family, you you come from privilege. You have the means to adapt your life and have had the means to adapt your life to suit your your family's needs. You retired, as I like to refer to it, from investment consulting, Focus more time on Abby and your nonprofit work. You've changed your home. You moved and fitted out your new home to accommodate Abby's needs, a bedroom on the first floor and making sure there was you no know, big open passageways for her um, mobility needs. You're an advocate for her um, and you ensure that she gets the absolute best care possible. So one thing that really strikes me is that in the U.S., we have very little to no paid maternity leave, no universal health care. Child care in and of itself is incredibly expensive and hard to secure. The list kind of goes on, and I don't want to get so depressed. We'll both be sobbing shortly. Um. But what are your thoughts about women who are forced to keep a pregnancy and the resulting economical burdens? Like what, you know, I think advice here would be wonderful or just any any perspective because you live it day to day. Abby is a, a wonderful human being, but this is also a, an intense component of your overall family dynamic.
1: Well, Jess, I don't think you could have said it better. You're exactly right me and our family are extremely fortunate to be able to give Abby what she needs. And it is not lost on me every day that there are so many people that could not do that. And a lot of times I come back to when we're having rough days and we say, you know, why me? Why, why, why? And you know, why not me? Why isn't it me? Of course, that can, can give this child what she needs, but Our eyes have been open to the world of Medicaid and and especially to the world of nursing care and so many people that don't get paid if they don't go to work. And there are a million circumstances, obviously, that when you're in that scenario, it makes you make decisions about how you're going to raise your children in a way that you wouldn't like. So obviously having an abortion can be saving the life of your current children. But what I will say, some advice is not everything is economical. Not everything is about having the best toy and the best school. And we do live in a country that that has extremely wonderful supports for disabled children and other circumstances and sometimes love and hugs. I know it's cliche, but the biggest thing for Abby is that she feels secure. And that she knows who the people are around her and she is not frightened. And that is not thing, something that, that money can buy. Of course, it is time. And, and that is a challenge. But I think my advice would be to have hope. And if you put in the time and give whatever you can possibly give, I promise you that child will do better and will thrive
0: thank you aaron for that and i think hope is something right now that maybe many women are feeling without this decision this supreme court decision the five men you referenced giving people pause on like where do we live and why and um how how have we come to this so i think i think focusing on on hope and that there's there's often no right decision. It's the best decision for you and for your family and for your circumstance. And I think the feeling stripped of choice is certainly something that is challenging at this present moment, but a reminder to all focus on and be hopeful for you know, change in the future. Maybe we didn't win this fight, but there are, there are others to come that we can um, continue to pursue that hopeful opportunity. Erin, is there anything else that you you want to share with us today? Yes. I think, you know, we're,
1: I'm seeing honestly, the wonderful company, Luna, and I'm looking at your tagline of work designed for life. And as I was getting ready for this conversation today, I did spend a lot of time just learning history of Roe uh, v. Wade and, and what is the current response. And it's amazing to me that the private companies that have stepped up to this, and I think this will become uh, the hope and the support that the co- this country can provide women and families. I don't remember the exact companies, but you know, companies are offering to pay for travel costs to get abortion, to pay for the penalties of and fines of protesting against this decision. And I think that right there is almost a reversion back to. What is the role of your employer and how can they really complete the picture of your life? So that's another reason I think don't, don't give up hope and do some research and just believe that the people of this country are good and can charge a path
0: forward. Thank you for that. Two examples of companies that, that are doing what you just shared. Perhaps you read about Patagonia and um, Dick's Sporting Goods, Patagonia. Bailing anyone out of jail who may get arrested for protesting and dick sporting goods for paying travel costs. And there are others, there are many stepping up. And it is it is a great reminder that humanity is good and that there are really good people and and absolutely that employers play a critical role in what is happening right now. So standing up. Speaking out, empowering employees, and appreciate you reminding us that as well from from your perspective, Erin. Thank you so much for being here. Despite women making up about 50% of the workforce, the professional landscape is not always friendly to mothers. The United States is the only high income country in the world to not offer paid maternity leave. For context, 178 countries around the world guarantee paid maternity leave with Estonia leading the pack at 86 weeks of paid leave, according to Pew Research Center. 107 countries globally offer paid paternity leave as well. You may be thinking about U.S. companies providing paid leave. However, only 12% of women have access to paid leave in the private sector. In 2020, the Family and Medical Leave Act, often known as FMLA, was amended to provide 12 weeks of parental leave for federal employees. However, roughly 40% of women don't even qualify for it. With the high cost of rent, gas, groceries, and other necessities, many mothers and fathers cannot afford to take unpaid time off. This leads to about 25% of women returning to work only two weeks after giving birth to support their families. And even if a woman returns to work right away, she is most likely to experience a negative impact on her salary. USC found that, on average, a woman's salary will shrink by 20% after having a child, either due to taking time off work, switching to part-time, or a number of other reasons. This is otherwise known as the motherhood penalty, as mothers experience this drop in salary for at least five years after having a child, if not more. We can see the effects of the motherhood penalty for the remainder of a woman's career. College-educated women who bear children before the age of 25 lose about two full years' worth of their annual salary. Women without degrees lose more. Women who have their first child at 28, regardless of education, make less throughout their careers than their counterparts without children. It is only after 31 years of age that a woman can give birth and recover her income earnings, even making more than her counterparts without children. It is also important to remember that the formula shortage, medical bills, cost of living, and more are other factors that generate a turbulent financial situation for a mother and her family. Unfortunately, the unsupportive environment of little to no Paid leave, the motherhood penalty, and the cost of raising a child has consequences. A CDC study found that one in 10 women experience postpartum depression, though many experts believe that number is higher. Additionally, the US has a relatively high infant mortality rate when compared to similar countries such as the UK, France, Canada, Germany, and more. The infant mortality rate of 5.8 deaths under one year per 1,000 live births is 71% higher than the death rate of these comparable countries. Several studies published in the National Library of Medicine point to socioeconomic inequity as the primary factor. This podcast is not about advocating for women to be child-free. It's not advocating for women to have children But rather, I want to point out the dramatic economic ramifications of if and when a woman has a child or children. Not only is a woman's life at risk when pregnant, but so is the financial future of herself and her children. In fact, 59% of women who get abortions already have children. 60% of women who get abortions are in their 20s. 49% of women who get abortions are below the federal poverty line. This indicates that many women are seeking abortions because of their impoverished situations. They're mothers in their 20s, and they financially do not have the means to support a child or children. In fact, another child may keep them below the poverty line, reducing the quality of life for both the mother and existing children. This is why it's so important that women get to choose When they want to start having children and when they want to have children at all. Reproductive rights help women ensure and maintain financial stability and the financial stability of their existing and future children. It is the most intimate and important decision a woman can make in her life. No one should be forced to go through it if they do not want to or cannot. In fact, the United Nations and Amnesty International. Classify forced pregnancy and birth as a severe violation of human rights and autonomy. So what can we do as employers, as employees, as humans? It can feel very overwhelming and daunting. And and I know we're all experiencing a range of emotions right now. So While there are certain states banning or severely restricting abortion care, there are definitely still things we can do. If you're an employer in a state with protected reproductive rights, continue to support your employees. Be sure to actively voice your support and put your support into action. Expand benefit offerings to include safe, discreet, and easily accessible support for your employees and their partners or dependents. Think about if you're outside of a state where there are protected reproductive rights, providing, again, discrete benefits to help those employees find safe medical care and treatment. I'd also just want to remind you to operate in alignment with your values. This is especially an important time to do so. It can be hard to take a stand, but aligning with values will make it easier to do so, even if it means that others disagree. Luna's values spell the word fresh, the title of this podcast. And freedom, being the F in that word, is an incredibly important part of how we operate day to day as a business. It's what we stand for. It's what we aim to bring to the world Our business is about what's best for individual people through every phase of their life. And this extends to medical decisions. Think about your own values personally or your company's values, and how can you tie what's happening, this current landscape, to those values, and then take a stand accordingly. One of the hardest parts of the Supreme Court decision The the hardest thing to just wrap my head around is that women, we have been stripped of choice. The mental health ramifications of having no choice alone will have a lasting impact for generations to come, further compounding the financial and educational impacts we've already talked about. Now is the time to empower those around you to use their voice, take action. Speak loudly and lead by example. And as always, don't forget to stay fresh. Thank you for listening.